How am I doing, Amanda? We good? I did mess with it because of my mask and all that. We good? Cool. Hey, thanks so much for meeting people and hanging out and enjoying our four minutes of family. Sorry it's not 40 minutes of family, but thank you for stepping in uh, to that time. And uh, I too am excited for high school to go to camp. I got two of my kids going, and uh, we're excited about that. It's funny to me, I'm pretty certain that uh, Sean's advice changes through the years. Like, I just don't think Sean would have told students when he was the high school pastor to, like, stay up all night and throw food at each other. Maybe you would. Um, or maybe you're just kind of trying to hose Hunter along the way. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, ever how you do that, that's going to be a great camp, and we're excited for our students. Um, Hey, I'm Pastor Garrick. Uh, If we don't know each other, welcome. If you're new to Coastline, welcome. We're really excited that you are here. Uh, The six o'clock service, as you can tell, is small through the summer, but really mighty. And uh, we thank you for coming out because we know that uh, God is here and God has work in store for us. Uh, Thank you for enduring the mask. Uh, As Sean said, none of us are excited about that. We're hoping that we'll be able to drop that soon, but I think we're being good citizens of the kingdom by being good citizens in our locale and uh, stepping into that for the safety of everybody. Um, I want to start, Gordon Fee shares a story. He was on sabbatical at a small little church, and a friend of his was teaching the the children's classroom, and they were teaching, it was Pentecost Sunday, and so the teacher was trying to teach about the Holy Spirit, and they they took this piece of paper, and they kind of put it in the air, and they, she blew on it, and it it blew the piece of paper kind of everywhere, and she was trying to explain that, you know, kind of out of the book of John, the Holy Spirit is like the wind, and you know, just, it, it, it's like the wind, the spirit, in that you can see the effects of it on your life, but you can't necessarily see the Holy Spirit because he's invisible. And the story goes, a six-year-old, as often kids do, a six-year-old piped in and said, I wish the Holy Spirit was uninvisible, right? Like really adamant. And, and that, that caught me as I was doing my reading and prep this week, thinking about, you know what, I don't think that's just a desire for a six-year-old. I think that's a desire for us adults as well, that we would love to see kind of a physical manifestation of the Spirit of God. Because the reality for us is that we're very familiar with God our Father. Like all of us have earthly fathers. Some of them were good, some of them not so good. Doesn't matter. Either way, all of us have this kind of life experience with fathers. And so when God says, hey, I am your heavenly Father, we have a way to understand that. That makes sense to us. And then you have Jesus coming over here and taking on flesh and becoming fully God. Yes, but he came down and dwelt among us, as John says in John chapter 114, and as he's dwelling among us, he takes on flesh. And so he's human, and he has blood and organs and bones and a skeleton, and he's walking the earth, and we read about his life in the Gospels, and we can identify, yes, I understand that Jesus, but we come to the Holy Spirit, and it's more difficult for us to wrap our minds around, for us to identify with, to, to understand, because it, it seems foreign and different. We're not quite sure, how do I relate to the Spirit? How do I understand the Spirit? And tonight, as we finish our series called Foundations, I get the privilege of talking together about this core value of Spirit-seeking. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, 
you've seen this, our vision statement, our mission statement, we're being intentional about repeating this. Because if vision doesn't stick, it's not vision at all. And so it's not just for Sean or myself or Hunter or Michael, you know, or Rochelle to know our vision statement. Everybody who is a part of Coastline, we want you guys to understand, wait, this is what we're doing here. Our vision statement is to live as God's beloved family, inviting all to experience Jesus. See, we want to be a church that says, we want to learn what it means to live as the family of God together, knowing we are distinct and unique and have different experiences and different perspectives, and yet because we share the common fellowship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we believe that we can learn to be the family of God together. And then we get into our vision statement, or excuse me, our mission statement, which is, well, how are we going to live into that mission statement? And you've heard this before. Our mission statement is to create joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. See, we believe that life with God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can actually bring a smile to our faces. That life is, yes, is difficult and hard, and we live in a fallen world, and yet the reality is as we live life with God, we have a reason to be joyful, and we have a reason to be courageous because our God is for us, and if our God is for us, then who could be against us? And so if you're here, I hope that you would commit some of that language to memory and that you would understand, no, you're not just coming here to listen. You are a part of a movement, a birthing of a new church that God has great plans for as we learn to live as God's beloved family, inviting other people into it, and then living joyful, courageous lives. And to do that, we have core values to center us. And you've, you've heard these. We've been teaching these the last several weeks, this idea of being boldly biblical and to be fully family and to be wholly worshiping. And tonight, I get the privilege of talking together about what does it mean to be spirit-seeking? What does that look like? And I, I, I wrote down some language here to, to help us understand what we mean by that statement. If you'll go to that next slide for me. We value the Holy Spirit. This is at Coastline. We want to be a church that values the Holy Spirit and actively pursue the Spirit's purifying and empowering presence. The Holy Spirit indwells all who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Go to that next slide for me. There's a little bit more to it. The Spirit is both gift and gift giver, empowering our life in God, growing our love for Jesus, and leading us into fruitful ministry within his kingdom. That is kind of a, a larger statement of what do we mean by spirit seeking. And tonight, what I'd like to do to get us thinking about being individuals and a collective church that are seeking the Spirit together, I would like to answer three questions. And the questions are these. Who is the Holy Spirit? I mean, if we're going to seek the Holy Spirit, we have to understand who he is. And then we have to answer, well, why should we seek the Holy Spirit? Why does it matter? Another way to frame that would be, what is the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives that would constitute us as we follow Jesus, wanting to be people who seek the Spirit? And then finally, the question of how. Well, what does it look like? What do you and I do when we say, hey, let's go be spirit-seeking people? What does that even mean? What am I supposed to do with my life as someone who's trying to seek the Spirit? So those are the questions I'd like to answer tonight. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue to jump into God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the privilege 
of thinking with you on this topic of what does it mean to be a spirit-seeking Christian? What does it mean to be a spirit-seeking church? And Father, as Sean said, as we are in our infancy, this church has just been birthed, we pray that you would work in our hearts and minds to help us understand the role that each one of us play in helping to build an ethos, a culture in this church where we expect to pursue the Spirit together. And so, Father, to that end, we open our minds and our hearts to you. And as always, would your truth, the word of God, come and meet the living word, Jesus, and come and meet the power of the Holy Spirit. And would you dwell amongst your people now? And would you teach us your truth, your wisdom, as we pursue you? It's in your great and majestic name that we pray. Amen. So the first part here, my first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is it that we are seeking? Very simply put, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He's part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see the Spirit show up when God creates in the very first pages of the Bible. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. The earth is formless and void and God is about to speak into existence all of creation. And we're told that the Holy Spirit is there hovering over the waters. That he is involved with uh, our Heavenly Father as part of the Godhead in creation. You also see the Holy Spirit in Luke 3, in Jesus' baptism, come down and descend upon Jesus. Jesus is there being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him, and then the Father speaks out, this is my Son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And so the Holy Spirit is fully God, but yet at the same time, he has personhood. The Holy Spirit's not an it, it's not a thing, and it's not a force. It's distinct from God, it's distinct from Jesus, and yet is of the same essence. No less lesser of being God than the Father or Jesus. And as a part of the Godhead, as one who has personhood, it means that the Holy Spirit has a will. It has, he has his own volition. We're told in Ephesians 4.30, as Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has emotions that can be grieved. And so the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has personhood. And the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. If you ever step back for a moment and thought the eternal everlasting God who spoke all of creation into being actually dwells within you. That's what Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says. It says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the, uh, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so that was that statement that you saw in that statement I gave you earlier that here at Coastline, we believe that anybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has entered your life, which means the very personal presence of the almighty living God dwells within you. And if you come from another faith tradition, that is a crazy thought. 
Because all other religions are about seeking a God externally so that he can be pleased with you. And yet in Christianity, in biblical Christianity, you see this reality that God dwells within his people. Now I think for some of us, if you've grown up in church or you've been here a long season, everything I just communicated is not new to you. And when things are not new, they so easily lose their significance. Some of you, it's kind of like, ho-hum, that's right, the Spirit dwells in me. I've been marked in Him. He's a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance until Christ comes back. You've had the, the verse memorized for a decade or two decades or three decades. But if you'll allow me very quickly, I'd love to trace the history of God's personal presence with His people. Because I think it will remind us of just how significant it is. Because it starts in Exodus 19. As Moses and the Israelites are approaching Mount Sinai, the presence of the living God Almighty, Yahweh, we're told dwells on the mountaintop. And there's billows of smoke and a fiery cloud. And it's so extravagant that God says the Israelites can't come up the mountain lest they die. That's how powerful God's presence is. And if you know your Bible, you know that shortly after, as Moses goes up to the mountain, he comes back down, the people had freaked out because Moses was gone for too long. They're out in the wilderness. They're not sure they're protected. They're not sure where they're going. And so they fall into what they know, which is, well, we don't know. Moses is gone, and we don't know about this God, Yahweh. So they begin to worship this golden calf. And as a response, God says, look, my presence was going to go with you. But because of this, I'm afraid that if I stay with you, all of you will end up destroyed because I am completely holy and you are not. And so instead of me going with you, I'm going to send my angel for your benefit because I am too holy. And it's only out of Exodus 33 where Moses begins to plead with God and basically says, look, God, you are the significant marker that makes your presence and makes us your people. That's the only identification marker that makes us distinct and unique and different from all the people of the world, your personal presence. So please, Yahweh, please, God, come with us. And God says, okay. And from that moment in Exodus 40, God dwells in the tabernacle. He fills the tabernacle with his glory, with his presence. This temple that was like a tent that was on the move. And after that, we're told in 1 Kings 8 that God's presence fills the temple that Solomon built for God to dwell amongst his people. And yet, they eventually go into exile and the temple is destroyed until we pick it up into what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 8, 9, I believe, and 10. If you'll go to that next slide for me. It says this. Or maybe it doesn't. Is it stuck? All right. Here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's what Paul writes. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple 
and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. This idea that Paul picks up on saying God's presence was once on the mountain and once filled the tabernacle and once filled the temple, but the crazy part of the gospel in the New Testament is that God Almighty, his personal presence now dwells within you. And now it is this intimate, dynamic relationship that we enjoy through his presence and his power. Because as we're told multiple places in scripture, it is through the presence of God, through the Holy Spirit, that you and I experience God. I mean, look at some of these verses. Romans 5, 5 tells us that we experience the love of God through the Spirit. And Romans 15, 13 tells us that we experience the hope of God through the Spirit. And then Romans 8, 15, and 16 tells us that we are God's beloved children through the Spirit. And the good news of the gospel in that is that we are his children. The passage there says that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that if we know Jesus, we are his children, period. And that's what makes the gospel good news. Because you might have lived a horrible life as a follower of Jesus last week, but that doesn't change that you are God's kid this week. And the Holy Spirit is testifying when you want to stand before God and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed, the Holy Spirit is testifying to your spirit saying, no, 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 we know that you haven't lived a great life last week, but the good news is your righteousness isn't predicated on you, it's predicated on Jesus and his death and resurrection on your behalf. So the Spirit, friends, is good news. Because our sin or I should say it this way, we can't sin our way out of being God's kid. So that's who the Holy Spirit is. Why do we seek the Holy Spirit? What work is the Holy Spirit doing in our life? I want to draw out three important truths of the work of the Holy Spirit. The first one is that the Holy Spirit reveals. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth, he reveals Jesus, and he reveals direction in our daily lives. Look with me in John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he lives with you and will be in you. And then go to that next slide for me in verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will... Uh, whom the Father will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So here John's saying, look, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he is the spirit of truth. He is going to lead you and guide you into what is true. He tells us that later on in 26, he's going to lead you into the teachings of Jesus. That you and I would understand and know and now have this new motivation to live into the truth. The Holy Spirit, according to John 15, 26, also testifies about Jesus. And I do think that this is a primary role of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he gives witness and testimony to the life of Jesus. But sometimes in the church, I think we're reductionistic about it and we say, okay, the only role of the Holy Spirit is to give testimony to Jesus and I would say that's the primary one, but there's other work that the Holy Spirit does as well. 
the Holy Spirit reveals in our daily life. Let me give you a couple passages if you're a note taker. Acts 10 with Peter and Cornelius. Acts 13 when Peter and Barnabas are sent out from the church at Antioch. These are just a few of the many examples that actually speak in Scripture about the Holy Spirit speaking to God's people. And I believe, as I can't find anything in Scripture, that the Holy Spirit still works today as you find in the first century. So the Holy Spirit reveals truth, reveals Jesus, and directs us in our daily lives. But the Holy Spirit also purifies us. This is easily seen in Romans 8, 12, and 13. The Holy Spirit's role, purifying us, sanctifying us, that's a a church term for this idea of being made holy, of looking more and more like the image of the Son of Jesus, or Jesus, the Son of God. Romans 8, Paul says it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it, Go to that next slide for me. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. See, this whole idea of pursuing the holiness of God, of allowing our lives to look more and more like our Savior Jesus, the good news of the gospel isn't, isn't, isn't just about our own effort or strength. It's predicated on the strength of the Holy Spirit, which means our job isn't to try hard and white-knuckle it as it is to open up our life to God and say, God, you're the one to empower this life with you. My job is to open my mind and heart to what you are doing and then to be obedient and follow along. That's what it means when the Holy Spirit is purifying us. Finally, the Holy Spirit empowers us. He empowers us for this personal relationship with Jesus and ministry within the world. And I think the easiest way to understand this is to look back into the life of Jesus himself and to recognize that he was fully God, yes, but he was fully man. And I believe as he lived his life, he modeled for us what it looked like to be a spirit-seeking Christian as he pursued the Spirit, and the Spirit was a part of his life, empowering his life. Because as I've already read in chapter 3, it is baptism, the Holy Spirit comes on him. And then we're told in Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left and went into the wilderness and was led into the wilderness, this time of temptation, by the Spirit. So God was doing this work in his life. And then you see in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, And then over in chapter 5, verse 17, we see that it was the power of the Lord, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, that Jesus had the authority and the power to heal the sick. And so you see in Jesus' life that the Holy Spirit is the one empowering this ministry of Jesus. You see it in the believer. It's not just in Jesus' life. Jesus says in Luke 24, 49, wait in the city until you are clothed with power when he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Luke picks up in 1, 8 and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what happens? Peter, who was once running for his life, stands up, preaches the gospel, 3,000 people come to faith, and then in the next chapter, he heals a lame beggar at the gate beautiful. Power to preach the word of God and power to heal. Well, where did that come from? That came from the power of the Holy Spirit, the eternal living God who dwelt in him. 
So the Holy Spirit has come to reveal, to purify us, and to empower ministry for us. So how do we seek the Spirit? What is our role and what do we do? And I think what's important is we think about our posture as it relates to the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is to seek the Spirit, we need to have a boldly biblical mindset. Here's what I mean by mindset. Before you go to do something, what you believe about it will dictate how much you really go after it. Right? It works that way in dating. Remember if you're dating now or remember back when you're dating, if you see the person and, you, and you're not that impressed, then, then you don't put yourself out there that much and you really don't get much from it. Well, it's the same way when we go to seek the Spirit. The, the mindset is the belief that once you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the eternal God now dwells in you meaning he dwells in you and he's actively working in you right now. And so you should expect him to be on the move. Because if you expect little, you give little and you get little. To be spirit-seeking means that I expect much from the eternal God who dwells in me, so I give a lot, so I get a lot. That's what I mean by mindset. What do I mean by boldly biblical? Here's what I mean. Boldly biblical means that we believe the Holy Spirit is about your character transformation into the image of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is also trying to empower you for daily life and ministry with him, just as you see in the pages of the New Testament. That's what I mean by boldly biblical, this idea that we won't let go of one of the moorings. We will hold them in tension together as the Word of God does. And this is hard because often churches lean in one direction or another. They pursue the Holy Spirit for character formation, that we might grow into the image of Jesus. And we need to do that because that's a major tenet of the work of the Holy Spirit. But so often in the church, we only focus there because it's safe. The Holy Spirit's role in truth and testifying about Jesus It doesn't get weird. It doesn't get out of control. It is explainable. It's safe. It's sound. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes, not all, but sometimes it lacks intensity. Sometimes it lacks spontaneity and dependence and excitement and ultimately the passion and the power that we see in the pages of the New Testament. Well, then if we go in the other direction and we pursue the Holy Spirit for power of ministry, it can be exhilarating and it can be emotionally satisfying. We can focus on the Holy Spirit and his role and his impact here and now. We can focus on loving his presence and loving his power to ask him to be with us and to be present and in our midst. Yet if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes if that gets unhinged from the word of God, it can get weird. It can be perceived as out of control. It can even become abusive. Because people are told if certain gifts don't reside in their life, then they must not have enough faith. And because of that wrongdoing in the church, I think it's easy for many churches to kind of lean in one direction and forget about the power of the living God that dwells in you now for the sake of ministry right here and now. And to be boldly biblical says, no, we want both. And I want to give you a, a, a metaphor here. Living in the Spirit If it's like dribbling a basketball, right? 
We, we have a proclivity toward a direction that you and I are comfortable in. Rather it be, Holy Spirit, you can have my life, form me into the image of Jesus Christ. Or it might be over here, Holy Spirit, empower my day to live as I see in the New Testament. But each of us has a dominant manner that we go after the Spirit, and it's like dribbling with your, with your dominant hand. And it feels natural, and it feels normal, and you can do it, and I can speak to you, and look at you, and it's no big deal, and I'm comfortable, and I could do this all day. But the minute I change to my weak hand, I can't really look at you anymore, and I lose the ball because I can't dribble, and it feels awkward and wrong, and I just want to stop doing it because I, I, I feel foolish. And before too long, I'm going to dribble it off my, oh, oh no. I hope people at the church didn't see that. And that's how we feel. Because if we engage with the Spirit, he's going to take us into places that if we're honest with ourselves, we're not sure we want to go, and it can be really uncomfortable. Because that's what I see on the pages of Scripture. And all we're saying to be Spirit-seeking at Coastline is to say, we're not going to say one versus the other. We're going to say yes to both, and we're going to try to hold those as best we can in tension and give each other the freedom to know you have a dominant hand. You have a way that you feel most comfortable pursuing the Spirit. But Coastline desires to be a place to say, yes, we want you to dribble also with your undominant hand. Am I making up words again? Your weak hand better word. And you're going to feel awkward. And it's not going to feel safe nor comfortable. But I think that's really when the Spirit can come alive and begin to work in our midst. I love the way um, Gordon Fee puts it. He talks about the radical middle. And he, he, he pens this. Where we expect neither too much nor too little from the Holy Spirit. Man, that's my desire for my own personal life and for the life of this church. That we would expect not too much, not too little from the Holy Spirit. Here we will know life and vitality, attractive life and vitality in our personal lives and in the community of faith. Here we will constantly have the veil removed so that we might behold God's own glory in the face of Christ. So that we are consistently being renewed into his likeness. Character formation the work of the Spirit, that you and I every day would look more and more in attitude and thought and action like Jesus Christ. And yet he goes on and says, here we will regularly expect and see both the working of miracles and the fellowship of his sufferings without sensing frustration in either direction. That, friends, is the radical middle of seeking the Spirit together. That we would expect God to move, and yet if he doesn't move in a manner we expect, and we were left in the fellowship of suffering, we know we're still in good company, and God hasn't left us. If I pray for someone's healing, for God to heal their back pain, and he doesn't instantaneously heal them, that's okay. I'm still going to believe and trust and pray for God to move with power on that person's life. Friends, that is what Gordon Fee calls the radical middle that we would expect much, but recognize if God doesn't move in a manner we expect, we're in the good company of the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus Christ, and he's still good. So, how do we seek the Spirit together? It begins with a, a mindset, a boldly biblical mindset. The last thing I would say is that to seek the Holy Spirit, we need to be expectant learners. This is more of a heart attitude to be expectant, and to be a learner. 
This idea of being expectant comes out of Ephesians 5.18. I've taught on this before. But it's this really interesting command from Paul that says, Be filled with the Spirit. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ are to be filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative. He doesn't say, "Ah, maybe you should be, maybe you should think about it. Maybe on every fourth Sunday, give it some consideration. He just says, be filled with the Spirit. And then the crazy part is, it's a passive verb. So it's not anything that we do, it's something done to us. So if the commandment is, be filled with the Spirit, but it's not something we do, but something God does to us, then what is our move? What's our role? And our role, I believe, is to be ready, to be expectant, to be attentive, to be responsive to the idea and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, Mike Pilavachi tells this wonderful story. He's a pastor in England, and I think he's doing well, this love of the Word of God and love in the Spirit and bringing them together, being a church that lives in the radical middle. And he shares this story. He, was, he had just flown from a, a, a um, conference that he spoke to many young people and bringing people to Jesus. He's coming back home. He's exhausted. He's flying with a colleague, and as they're getting off the plane and walking through the airport, he's talking to the colleague about, how do you follow the Spirit? What does it mean to stay in step with the Spirit? How do you do this, Mike? And Mike was telling him, look, I really think it's more just about being attentive to the work that God is doing in your life and really listen. And then when you think you hear something, in faith, act on it. I think it's that hard and yet that simple. And so they're having this conversation and as they walk by, they're outside in the parking lot. As they walk by, the colleague that Mike is with says, oh my gosh, I, 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 this is weird. Mike says, what? He says, I just get this impression in my mind that I need to talk to this person. And Mike's like, who? He's like, the guy standing right there. And Mike's like, well, and he's like, how do I know for sure? It's like, well, we, we should probably test it. So they walk back the other direction. And they begin to pray together. Lord, do you have a word for us for this gentleman over here? And they begin to walk back and the person begins to feel it more intensely. And so the colleague says, Mike, what do I do? And Mike, you know, he's tired and exhausted and being honest saying, I don't want to do it right now. I just came off a major plane flight, taught at a conference. He's dead tired. He's just hoping bad pizza. God's not in this. Let's just get in our car and go home. They walk a third time. And the person's like, I, I can't ignore it. God wants me to go to the person and just tell them I see them. So Mike's like, that's life in the spirit. He might think you're crazy. It might sound so totally foolish, but why don't you walk over there and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I just, I have this impression that God wants me to communicate to you that, that you're seen. So they're like, all right, let's go do it. So they go do exactly that. And as you may expect or maybe did not expect in this situation, the guy almost broke down weeping because he was a church planter who was there to pick up a family member. They had just come in, I think, a year earlier. The church was failing. The church was not doing well. And he was thinking about going back to his hometown. And here he was pleading with God, saying, God, I don't know why I'm doing this, and I don't know if you even see me. And here up strolls this guy, saying, hey, I don't know. This is kind of weird. I'm not really sure what the Lord's doing here, but I just feel like I'm supposed to communicate to you that you're seen. It's the power of the Spirit. It's what it means to be attentive and responsive. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Another translation of that same statement is, Since the Spirit has given us life, we should also let him control our lives. 
You have life because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He brought you to Christ. Now you live this new life in Christ. We should allow him to control our lives. The language there to stay in step with the Spirit means to march. To march in the cadence of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to end my message this evening by just giving us an opportunity to live into that which I'm trying to teach. I'm going to invite us into a prayer exercise, which is going to be very simple. And it's just going to be asking you to go to God in prayer and ask him two questions. Heavenly Father, where is the Holy Spirit at work in my life? And as you begin to reveal that, what am I to do? What step am I supposed to take to stay in step with the work that you are doing? Now, if you're new with us, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe it begins by starting a relationship with Jesus, which is as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you. You are my Savior. I don't meet God's righteous demands. I'm not perfect. And through the righteousness and the righteous life of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose, I can now be saved and live with you for eternity. And so maybe it's as simple as for the first time saying, Jesus, I am yours. And trusting scripture when it says, when you say that, the God of the universe now indwells your life. But let me lead us in this prayer exercise and invite the worship team up. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you that you dwell in each one of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ. May that fall afresh on our ears and in our minds and in our hearts. And Father, in this moment, we want to simply ask, Holy Spirit, where are you at work? And Holy Spirit, would you reveal to each one of us where you're at work, what it is you're trying to do, and would you bring faces to mind, would you bring people to mind, steps that you want us to take as we follow after you. And in the midst of that prayer, if it's just crickets, if it's silent, you don't hear anything, that's fine. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't have a unique directive for you in this moment. And if that's your situation, I encourage you this week just to go back to Galatians 5, 19 through 24 and reread it. Because it's all focused on living a life with God. And then changing your prayer to saying, God, where are you at work in my life? And what might I do to be obedient to the work you're trying to do? Let me give you another moment. Holy Spirit, where are you at work in my life? Would you give us and me some understanding into what you're calling me into and what obedience might look like in following you? Lord, we remember that the things we hear will always be tested by Scripture that you were never, Holy Spirit, lead us away from the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of your word. But come and speak, help us to listen, that the Holy Spirit might be vibrant and powerful in our lives, and that, Lord, we might learn together what it means to be a spiritually seeking community, a community that is seeking 
the Holy Spirit. The person of God, the very personal presence of our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for slowing us down tonight just for a moment. And as we continue to listen in the midst of worship, Lord, we invite you to speak. Our prayer team will be up along the sides of the wall. If something comes to mind that you just want partnership in or prayer over, a prayer of encouragement, someone to walk alongside you, we're here, we do this together. And as I said earlier, Coastline is a safe place to begin to learn what it means to listen and follow hard after the spirit of Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you're always working. Thank you that you dwell in us. Help us to be expectant learners. In your name we pray. Amen.